Welcome to Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward, along with my co-host, Tom Jokic. Hey, Christopher. TJ. As you know, we feature interview clips from interviews going way back. Back like 50, 60 years, but we also feature heavily from the 70s and 80s. On this episode, we're just going back to 2005, 15 years ago, with a little artist only had a couple hits, maybe you don't remember her, <laughs> with Rihanna. And this is an exceptional interview because it's one of the early career interviews that we ever had from her. And there's something about her that's so compelling and so sweet, if I can say, if I can oh, use it that is, word. Oh, it is charming, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, I love this when you sent it to me. Yes. Tom, what else do we have this week? Jan Arden. Me in conversation with Jan from uh, 2001, shortly after 9-11. We'll talk more about that in a okay. second. Um, if you're new to the show, and if you're kind of intrigued about all the stuff that we've talked about in the past... And we do have so many brilliant interviews in the archives. <laughs> right. Really. Absolutely. And you can catch up with those on the iHeartRadio app. So just find us, Famous Lost Words, on the iHeartRadio app, and just scroll through. And if there's an artist that catches your eye... Tune into that episode, and trust me, I'm certain you're going to like what you hear. And uh, don't forget to rate us and review us on the iHeartRadio app as well. We would love to hear from you. You can follow us on Facebook, Famous Lost Words, or on Twitter at Famous Lost Pod. We had and, your taste covered, by the way, from, from John Lennon to Justin Bieber. That's right. That's right. What do you <laughs> call it? And all spots in between, right? Yeah, a beetle and a beeb, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. I forgot that. That's right. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this week... A great interview with Jan Arden from 2001. Great song, Ponder Replay from 2005. Rihanna, right about the time of this very interview. Yes, she is one of the biggest pop stars in the world. But beyond the usual metrics for measuring success like sales numbers and awards, Rihanna is an icon in fashion and music and an artist with a unique cultural identity. The 250 million in album sales, the 14 number ones, and all the Grammy awards are powerful measures of how dominant a musical force she's been in the last decade plus. But her influence, if possible, is even bigger than those markers suggest. Her career was launched when Jay-Z signed her to Def Jam in 2005, but really took off two years later with Umbrella, a song originally intended for Britney Spears. Yes, we've talked about that. Go That's, figure, huh? That was a bit of a mistake by Britney, but, you know, she's got to love the songs that she's that she's going to sing, and maybe she just went, nah, I don't know. And i got to tell you, first time I heard Umbrella by Rihanna, I went, oh, that's awful. I thought it was a terrible <laughs> really? song. And we had a, we had a survey, a, a listener survey, because we, we featured it on a, on a feature we had called Friday Morning New Music, and people would vote on it, right. and it rated one of the lowest of all time. <laughs> Seriously? And it, I think it had to do with that um, Ella, Ella, A. A, A, that part was so irritating the first time. I love that part. <laughs> and But it's grown into a, like, I think it's a great song now. Yeah. But it was like Sexy Back, hated, right. tested really badly at the very beginning with our audience, and then took off. So it was just one of those That's songs. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. You sort of assume that big songs are going to register immediately with a listener. And yes. That's sort of you know the basis for them becoming as big as they do. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't you know that aware of Rihanna before Umbrella. Mm-hmm. Call me superficial. Call me a latecomer to the party, <laughs> as you as you may. And I liked Umbrella right away. That yeah. was, it really hit me. But yes. maybe it was the hookiness of it. You know, the sing along sure. bit at the end. Yeah. 
Anyway, this interview predates all of that, and in some ways is all the more interesting for I it. I agree 100%. Mm. This young Rihanna is confident, ambitious, and absolutely clear about who she is and who she was about to become. And I just want to give a shout-out to the interviewer. His name is Corey Kim, mm-hmm. and he currently works the morning show at Up 99.3 in Edmonton. Corey was always very enthusiastic in every interview he did, and it shows up here. That's back in the days when I worked with him. And there's also uh, a bit of crackling in this interview, and we tried to clean it up as best as we can. Ironically, sometimes the interviews stored to CD are not the best quality. But when they were recorded, we were convinced that CDs were the most reliable. The indestructible medium, right? right. Yeah, we were told, anyway. Okay, Christopher, back to the interview. Tom, here Rihanna begins by talking about how she was discovered. Well, first, I met a producer whose name's Evan Rogers, and he's married to a Barbini woman. I just met with him. I sang for him. He was impressed. So he invited me out to his studio to do some recording. We recorded for like a year back and forth. Then we finally put a demo together and we sent it to a few labels. That time happened to be the first to call back. The first to jump on it. They were the most enthusiastic. Do you remember what song you sang for him the first time when he said, okay, give me a little sample of Rihanna? Do you remember what I you sang did? several. I sang Pond the Replay. I sang a dance to that one. I also sang Whitney Houston's version of For the Love of You. Now all this stuff happening is a, is a little surreal, a little unbelievable. Yes, absolutely. Because I've I've always dreamed of doing it, and I'm just really excited to be given the opportunity to fulfill my dreams. I'm really excited that uh, you were so pumped about this. I know when you're uh, getting ready to meet Jay Z and you're at the record studio, before you, when you soon you saw him down the hall, it's yeah. like, oh my god, the butterflies get going. How do you calm yourself down before what could be the biggest moment of your life? How do you gather yourself together? I couldn't. Not at that moment. I was too far gone. But the minute I walked into his office, the atmosphere just changed. Like, it was so warm and welcoming. And they really made me feel comfortable and at home and welcome. So I was able to perform an audition for him comfortably. So was there one part of the audition where you said, I got it? Or after the audition, did you go, oh, no, it didn't work out? How did you feel no, after I, you did it? I felt pretty confident. But yeah. I was just waiting on him. You know, I was, like, anxious, nervous. And then he said, okay, and he smiled, and then he said, okay, here, we don't sing songs, we sing artists, and we're interested, and that that just did it for me, and then he, he didn't let us leave, we were there until three in the morning, and we signed the deal that. And going into the studio, did they give you, how much freedom, I know you co-wrote. They oh. gave me a lot of freedom, uh-huh. a lot. We sent in songs, and they would, you know, give their suggestions on stuff that they didn't like about it or whatever but they just let me be me and let me do the type of music that I want to do and if we sent in the song they didn't like they would say you know all right not that one and we would try again and then they'll probably say you know okay we like this one you're right about that confidence Christopher and there's a genuine sweetness to her at this time I do believe that that sweetness was eventually kind of buffed out by the incredible fame that she received but hopefully she's still that same person deep down inside and especially to her family and friends well fame is a brutal master Mm -hmm. in this next clip she talks about the support of her family and she shows her determination about her career they're always very supportive and they still are and they're just really excited and happy for me is it a little overwhelming because i know from where you were before to where you are today, I mean, in a year. Is it a little scary sometimes? 
No. No? You're you're ready for everything? Oh, yes. I wanted this for too long and so bad. And you said music is in your DNA. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I eat music. I sleep music. I dream music. If I could, I would be music. I just love music. This is Famous Lost Words, and we're talking with Rihanna from 2005. Tom, here she talks about her vocal style and first hearing Ponder Replay, a song that became very important in her career. My vocal style is R&B, that of R&B. And my my culture is, you know, reggae music. But we threw a little hip-hop in there because I love hip-hop. So we just had to add hip-hop and we fused it all together. And it turned out to be Ponder Replay and much more. So when you heard Ponder Replay, when you when that song started, you knew, bam, this is going to be a hit, like instantly, inside. Oh, no. No? No. That was a dark horse for me. Really? Mm-hmm. Really. I re-recorded it because, you know, it sounded like fun. It was a fun, cute song. And it was the song, it was going in my direction, the direction that I was taking in music. So we took it and we recorded it. We put it on the demo. This, this, okay, this one is a hit. Like when Jay Z heard it, he was like, "This is huge. This is too big for a new artist." And then he said to himself, "Okay, I want to meet this girl." Then we met. He said, "The minute he saw me, he knew I was a star." The minute Jay Z saw her, he knew she was going to be a star. Imagine what those words can mean to an impressionable teenager or anyone, for that matter, when someone says that. It's an incredible story. I mean, they were literally told, sign her before she leaves the building because somebody else will. (laughs) Yes, exactly right. (laughs) Amazing. So even at this early stage of her career, Rihanna was strategizing her look. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not doing music? Because I know you're so consumed by that, but when you get a second and you want to get away from that for a moment, what do you like to do? Just relax and think about stuff. Watch television, listen to music, shop. What's your favorite thing to shop for? Shoes. How many pairs do you got? I don't know. People keep asking me that question. I don't know. You got some fancy, shiny gold shoes with (laughs) break dancing, fluorescent yellow laces going on. I mean, how does this feel? Because you are now um, very much of a fashion icon. I know a lot of people are going to be looking up to you and your type of style. So where do you get your style from? Where does it come from? It's just fun, young, and sexy at the same time. So we would do like a baggy jeans to be fun. The little boy shirt showing, some short fitted crop tops with like sneakers. Yeah, and, and I go both ways. I wear heels and I wear tight jeans as well. I wear dresses and skirts. I, I go all over the place. Oh, she sure does. And she's become somewhat renowned for her look. She has her own fashion line, cosmetics line, and she is always a must-see person at the annual Met Gala in New York. And you can bet that even the teenage Rihanna from this interview 15 years ago would have been shocked by how far she would go. That's Rihanna on Famous Lost Words. Jan Arden from 1994, the Juno Award winner for Song of the Year, Could I Be Your Girl. Tom, you don't need me to tell you how brilliant, how insightful, and hilarious Jan Arden is. (laughs) That's right. right? Because you've interviewed her, as, as I have, and it's an unforgettable experience. And I think in some ways, looking back, more is revealed in the re listening. I agree. 
I should add, if you're an artist or a songwriter listening to this, um, hi. And <laughs> uh, Jan gives what I think of as kind of an understated masterclass in uh, tapping into the creative process. So w- what were the circumstances of the interview that you did here with Jan? Well, the date of the interview should help put this into a bit of context. It was October 11th, 2001, mm. exactly one month after 9-11. And that event does tinge and color this interview quite a bit, which you will hear, but it's much, much more than that. Jan, October 11th, 2001. Yes, it is. Of course it is, I'm just doing a bit of an English accent because, Mm -hmm. of course, we've just gone through... Um, Hell. A lovely phone thingy, my Bobby, with Kate. Love. I wanted to hear you interview Kate Blanchett, so I just heard Kate Blanchett talking. I just was kind of on the phone with Kate Blanchett indirectly. That's right. But let's just say her cell phone was bad. Anyways, enough about that. Yeah. It is October the 11th, the year of our Lord, 2001. Christmas is just around the corner. Thanksgiving is over, and Halloween is coming. And greatest hurts, the best of Jan Arden is that. What, what day is it? Oh, October 30th. October the same 30th. day. You know who you're up against. Who am I up against? Michael Elton Jackson. John. Michael Jackson. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, I figure you got a chance. Ow! Yeah. I've done a lot of those on my record. I've done a lot of... Ow! Okay. Well, I'm proud to be out with Mike, Mikey. <clears throat> There's a lot of similarities between us. The one glove, mind you, mine's a rubber glove, and his is a little sequin number, but... <laughs> the bio refers to this uh, oh, God. as kind of, I know, as kind of like a self-portrait. And that implies kind of that by getting to know the songs, you get to know you. I don't think so. No. I think you get to know a portion of a person, but I mean, I don't even know what the hell I'm writing about half the time. It's a, it's a mysterious process that I really don't care to understand because I think that would take the fun out of it. It's like, I don't know. I don't want to know why the presents are under the tree at Christmas time. You know, when I'm six years old, I just want to bloody well know that they're there. And I don't know myself through music. I don't, I don't recognize myself half the time. I love doing it. I love it, love it, love it. But it's not a catalyst to releasing pain or expelling demons or expressing undying love. It is such a primal expression of sounds and beats and words. And you string them all together and you come up with something. I'm really surprised to hear that from you because I've talked to um, Sarah McLaughlin. And she like, and she had this whole analogy about how songwriting is like diving into a, a lake at night where you can't see anything and it's scary and you, and you, but you have to do it because it's catharsis and it's all that stuff and and it's not like that for you. It's, mm. Do you like some of the songs that are, sound deeply personal? Are they are they painful well, I'm sure at all they are. for I, you? I, there's no pain involved. I'm entranced by melody. I'm very intrigued by melody. But I just, I'm stumbling through life like everybody else. But no, I, as uh, being a, a cathartic process, no, I, I really don't. I'm a really jovial person. I mean, I spend four days out of the week somewhat kind of happy and three days kind of somewhat sad. And then, you know, the rest of time, well, I guess that's the whole week right there, isn't it? There's four and three, that's six. Okay, well. And I... I just think it's something that I do. I wouldn't say I have to do it. There's lots of things I'm interested in that I'd love to do. I think, and Keith Richards talked about this of all people, that human beings are receivers of some sort. Whether it's you believe in uh, the spirituality or Jesus Christ or, I mean, how dare we be talking about God at this time of in humanity. But it's just about being open to receive 
Ideas. I think ideas are divine intervention. I think that's what songwriting is. Although, honest to God, half the time I'm doing it, I think, what is this? And why did I write that down? Now, I can either sit back and, you know, oh, I want to understand the inner me. I want to know. I want to be Kate Blanchett, for God's <laughs> sakes. I want to love two men. I want to... It's just, I just jot it down, and I sing it, and that's the end of it. It is a bit surprising how almost accidental her songwriting is. And this is yet another way of writing. Also, I must apologize for my part of the interview. As you can tell, I had a heck of a cold when I did this, but I didn't want to pass up my chance to interview Jan under any circumstances, including that one. (laughs) (laughs) Here, Jan talks about daily inspiration and what to do with it. You have to be a certain type of person to be able to realize that you're getting this inspiration and to put it towards melody. Everybody gets it every day. You get it all day long. My mother gets it all day long, my father, my brother, my friends. Mm-hmm. Most people just choose to ignore it because, A, they're afraid of failing, they're afraid of looking stupid, they're afraid of saying something unacceptable, they're afraid of people looking at them and going, oh, what the hell is she trying to do? What's he trying to do? You have to just be really open-minded. People succumb to fear every moment of the day, and if there is ever a truer time for that, it's now, to understand what fear does to you. You know, they... You can even call it intuition. Even when you're writing a letter to someone, for example, you sit down, you grab your pen and your paper, you sit at your computer screen and you start tapping away. You have to make choices as to what words you write down. Mm -hmm. A lot of people get stifled. They'll roll a ball. That sounds dumb. Crumple, crumple, crumple. They'll throw it into the trash bin because they don't trust their stream of consciousness. And I think that's got a lot to do with art. Art, doing art is so that you don't have to talk about art and you don't have to explain art. That's what art is. So it's the same with songwriting. Is it a catalyst? Are you expressing something? Well, yes, 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 and yes, but I don't know what that is and I don't know why. But sometimes that's not good enough for people. But what's the song about? What's that second verse about? You must know. Like on Loved, I'm like, I don't know. Uh, You know, here I am inside a hotel choking on a million words I said. It seemed like the right thing to write down for me Uh well wasn't it about your father being an alcoholic and well no I don't know I I wish I could say more yes it means something to me and I love doing it but I I don't know anything Mm -hmm. beyond that it's kind of interesting it's both really great and a little sad to hear her say that everyone gets inspiration every day it's great because it's encouraging It's sad because those of us who don't feel inspired every day feel like we failed in channeling it. Kind of know what I mean there, Christopher? Well, I'm trying to think about sort of precisely what she means. She may mean that you can take a creative approach to life Mm -hmm. and your work and, and, for example, just solving problems in life, like even relationship problems can be approached from a creative point of view. Yes. As opposed to the idea of, you know, making art kind of creativity. Sure. And I know Jan is one of those people who likes to encourage others, and she's not afraid also to take on her haters. And if you follow her on Twitter, you'll know what I'm talking about. And boy, does she have some haters on Twitter. I follow her, like, religiously. And sometimes it's politics. Lately, it's about her being, I can't remember if she's either vegetarian or vegan. And the people who take her on are, for the most part, incredibly cruel but jan handles them so well often with like a line like someone can write something so heinous and she goes you know jerry 
I'm sure you and I could be best friends. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's just so good. Oh, good and for there, her. And there are times when I kind of go, Jen, why are you even engaging with this person? But I also think it's important for us to see what people, celebrities, particularly women, go through and what kind of hate they're subjected to on social media. And so by showing that, I think that's eye-opening to a lot of people. And I think it's important for us to see that so we can witness, bear witness to what they go through, particularly as women. You know, if I can take a little tangent here, I mean, this is not a new phenomenon. It's no. funny because I was talking with Erica, who I used to work with. So that's Erica M., uh, former VJ at Much Music, just for everyone. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. she got torn to shreds when she was very first on air. I mean, I guess the way I looked at it is that she almost sort of grew up in public. Yes. And it was cruel. And, mm-hmm. and and just kind of scary at times, the things that she put up with. I mean, it toughened her up, there's no question. Yes. Um, but she does not forget any of it. Yes, I She work, carries it with her. I, I believe she does. And, you know, I, I worked with Erica very briefly on another project, probably a good 10 years ago. And you could tell that she was a much different person from then because, uh, you know, at Much Music, she was, you know, she was terrific. She, uh, but she was kind of wide-eyed and uh, a person kind of searching for her place. And then years later, man, that confidence that she had and that poise mm-hmm. was much different. And I do believe that she had to grow up in public and it was harsh yeah. for her. Yeah. This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Tom Jokic with Christopher Ward, and we're going back to a 2001 interview that I did with Jan Arden. Now, Tom, you won't be surprised by Jan Arden's whimsical take on the songwriting process. Do you ever get confronted by that fear that what you're doing isn't good enough, the one that you were just kind of referring to? That Never. That's amazing. Now, with that in mind, though, what about... There, there must be a moment when you say, you know what, this isn't quite... This isn't working. Yes. And, and that's, that's different from that fear. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not trusting my instinct. It's usually it's like it's like it's like pushing a rope. If I'm trying to write a song, I'm going to try and write a song. I can't do it. I know it's almost like having an itchy palm or or um, feeling apprehensive or feeling like oh I wonder what this movie's going to be about. It's about anticipation. When I have this sense of anticipation, it's nothing deep. It's nothing profound. You know, usually I'm writing songs with the TV on. I mean, more often than not, <laughs> I've got the TV on. And I'm changing channels as I've got my pad of paper in my lap and I'm writing. I'll flip the guitar over and put the paper on the back of the guitar and scribble on there. And usually I always pick a pen that never works. That's how I usually start. I'm like, damn it, why? So I'll go <laughs> grab something else. And before I know it, there it is. But like you said, it's a good point. If I'm struggling, if I'm like, uh, it's because I'm forcing it. It's because I'm trying to force a rhyme scheme. I'm trying to force a melody. I'm trying to force it. Yeah. And it just doesn't feel like a real song to me. So I chuck it. So the third line is or- it ends with the word orange yeah, or purple. That's and you're, a great you're screwed. Go. Yeah. I'm screwed. <laughs> so you, because, you're, because you write with a TV on, have you ever like written down? Oh, stolen many like words from the television. Uh, I've had someone say one word that I'm looking for. Really? I, I can't oh, that's be specific. Amazing. I wish I could be specific, whether it's doubt or a newscaster saying... You know, persevere, or you know, you you grab things. and I'm like, oh, persevere might work. I'll try that instead of sandwich. You know, <laughs> what the hell? So, you you just, I think you have to let your your hand write the words and let your heart sing them. It's it's something that simple. You got that, everyone. You have to let your head write the words and your heart sing them. 
And what is the perfect rhyme for sandwich? Bandwidth. <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> I was thinking. I've, that's the only thing I thought of the other day when I when I was thinking about that. That's funny. That's wow. funny. Okay. Um, I didn't have any time to think about that. <laughs> that's, that's the best brilliant. I can come up with. All right. Um, all right. Where are we? <laughs> In this clip, Jan talks about writing only for herself. And then, of course, we had to have the classic Jan question, didn't we? A lot of the stuff I do I don't think is particularly commercial, but I really don't write for the label. I don't write for other people. I'm not the voice of the people. I don't... I'm glad that people can find a piece of themselves within the context of what I've written, but it's not my job to represent any anyone or anything but myself. I have a point of view. That's all I'm expressing. And it's weird to have that point of view public. But you can't be careful about that either. You can't be apologetic and you can't... Yes, I write a lot of sad songs. I'm criticized for it constantly. I love it. I love every sad little nuance. I love the ambiguity of my music. I like that it's not sexually specific. I like all these ominous things about it that are just suggestions of feelings. That's all it is. All right, the Jan Arn question, the one you get asked at every single interview... I'm when funny, you, but yeah. I write serious songs. Yeah. Tell me about funny that. How I knew the question. Yes, I know. Well, that's because I knew you've been asked it a million times. Tell me, uh, tell me again okay. why why you do it. I've even asked you this mm-hmm. question before. No, that's fine. And I I seem to find new ways of answering it all the time, which is interesting. Oh, this ought to be good. Tragedy and triumph are intertwined. I mean, to a point where they're inextractable. It's like having a a fine gold chain in so many knots. I suppose if you spent a year of your life with two couple pairs of tweezers, you might get it apart. But why try at that point? You might as well melt it down and start again. And I think that's the analogy, is that you shouldn't spend so much of your time trying to separate the happiness from the sadness or the defeat from the the wins. I, I think... The human condition is, it, it can't be categorized into these words, and that's what we've done as humans. Are, do you feel happy? Do you feel sad? Are mm. you depressed? Mm. Are you? And there's certain things that are supposed to be okay, and there's certain things that aren't supposed to be okay. Like, I think depression gets a really bad rap. I think it's an integral, important part about human nature. It slows people down. Yes, there's medical. I'm not talking about clinical medical things that definitely need the care and attention of psychiatrists and, and medical doctors. But the, the normal kind where, you know, you, you watch the TV on September the 11th and you still feel crappy about it, you know, a month later. You're supposed to. It infiltrates your soul, those kinds of things. And happiness, by God, we'd all blow up and we'd be spontaneously combusting all over the place if we were happy all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not reality. It's, I would never want to be there. I would never learn anything about myself or my life. I would never write music. I don't think there'd be a great piece of literature in the world. I don't think there would be the Mona Lisa. I don't think there'd be Pinky and Blue Boy by Gainsborough. I don't think art would exist without the unbelievable defeats that the human spirit has encountered. That's a great way to end that interview with Jen. Okay, I have to tell you how I found that interview. It was not in our archives. Really? It was on a cassette tape in oh. a drawer at my place, <laughs> and the tape was broken. I had to repair it myself. You know the, you know the little screwdriver you use to fix your glasses? Yeah. That's how you have to unscrew the screws on a cassette tape, on a cassette. 
right? Wow. And then I literally taped it together with scotch tape and had Adam Karsh, our producer, do his magic with it. And then Adam <laughs> wrote back and sent it back to me as an MP3 file, which thank God those exist. And he wrote back, this is a great interview. And I hadn't really remembered it as a great interview. I didn't realize how good Jan was in this, even though she's always great. You know, it should not come as a surprise, but it was really great to hear this interview again. And there is so much depth to it. I'm really proud of how the interview turned out. It's terrific. I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it and uh, nicely done with the screwdriver. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So Jan continues to be incredibly busy these days. She's got her own sitcom, Jan, and her own podcast, The Jan Arden Podcast. I've listened to it, and it's great, Christopher. Co-hosted by a very good friend of mine named Caitlin Green, Jan and Caitlin have great chemistry, and you can hear that podcast, along with this podcast, Famous Lost Words, on the iHeartRadio app and on radio stations across Canada. You're listening to Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward, along with my co-host, Tom Jokic, and we have an incredible roundup of cool song facts, don't we? We sure do, and this time is just about one artist, and it's about David Bowie. And most of these cool song facts have been taken uh, from the book The Oral History of David Bowie by Dylan Jones. Ah. It is a great read. There's so much interesting stuff in here. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the oral history comes from David Bowie himself. And this book was put together after David's death, but includes a lot of the interviews that Dylan Jones did ah. obviously during Bowie's life. I so see. Okay. it's a really great uh, you know, comprehensive oral history that includes many of the women in his life, many of the musicians in his life, including, you know, Carlos Alomar and all mm-hmm. these names that you know from the credits of Bowie albums and uh, I believe Ian Hunter and like it's really good. Stevie Ray Vaughan. If you're a geek, I don't think so because Stevie has been gone for so long, I don't think it goes back that far. Mm. Okay, so let's get to some David Bowie cool song facts. Okay, Bowie briefly considered working with Elvis in the 70s. What? He would have written and produced for him, and Bowie says he would have loved it. Now, I don't know what came of that, but that fell off, and maybe Elvis wanted no part of David Bowie. Maybe, ultimately, Bowie thought... This is going to make me look too square. I don't know. I'm not going to be one of those spiders from Mars, baby. I just want to lay that down now. Okay. Don't call me no spider. Okay. You have a cool song, fact. Go ahead. Well, Bowie was a huge fan of Little Richard. And it's so It's like weird. his name just keeps coming up. Yes. In, in case you doubted yeah. what a significant figure he was in the history of rock and roll. Um, anyway, Bowie saw him perform late in the 1950s. And at one point during the show... Little Richard apparently looked like he was in distress, <laughs> clutched at his heart, and fell to the stage. <gasps> the MC asked if there was a doctor in the house. <laughs> oh, yeah, because Bowie thinks he's watching his idol die right there on the stage. <laughs> but all of a sudden, Little Richard grabbed the mic and sang, Well, I've seen Little Richard perform, so I can attest to the bizarreness of the entire thing. Oh, Chris, that reminds me of the great clip that we ran, you talking oh, to Little Richard right. about playing his songs twice. Because his songs were sometimes minute, a minute, minute and a half long. minute and a half long. Well, they were so fast. They were so fast. And so he had to do a whole set. So he would just rip through the song twice. Well, he would set it up. He would yes. go, did you like it? Do you want to hear it again? <laughs> a one, a two. And then boom, he'd be right back that's in the tutti so, frutti. You that's know? so funny. Well, and of course, the bizarre bit from the interview was yes. when I said, so I'd never seen anybody do that before. And he was like, well, 
You said it's just like that with the ladies, right? <laughs> do you like it? Do you, you want like, to hear it again? Do you want it again? Oh, no. Okay, yes. next. <laughs> so now that we've moved past the most inappropriate part of this yes. show, um, but we, we get away with it because we attribute it to little Richard. That's right. <laughs> um, anyway, um, oh, now here's an odd one, and I, didn't, I did not know this. And Tom, thank you for bringing this one to my yeah. attention. Mark Bolan of T-Rex got his last name by mashing together two names, Bowie and Dylan. Bolan. Yeah. I did not know that either until it, I read this. That's it could have been sure. Dilly, but it wasn't. It was, was Bolan. <laughs> Dilly. Mark Dilly is way better. Okay, <laughs> so when Bowie first met Andy Warhol, it was very awkward because Warhol wasn't a talker, and then Bowie played him the song... Andy Warhol from the album Hunky Dory, and Warhol hated it. <laughs> so that did not go well at all. Can you imagine wow. writing a song about someone and, and saying, Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne, I've written a song called <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne. Have a listen to this, and then you can tell before you've gotten to the chorus that he hates it. And you're going to go, gee, what do you do? Anyway. What you do is you send it over before you meet them. Yes. So that they can get that reaction That's out right. of their system. That's right. And then they can find the good in it. Yes. All right. We're talking about cool song facts with David Bowie on Famous Lost Words. Most of these are taken from the book David Bowie, The Oral History by Dylan Jones. Okay. So when Bowie wrote All the Young Dudes, he couldn't get it right in the studio. After several attempts, he gave the song to Mott the Hoople. All right? So Ian Hunter said he would have never given away a song that was that good. Yes. And when the lyrics name-checked Mark Bolin and T-Rex, Bolin thought Bowie was taking a dig at him, but Bowie was actually a great admirer of Mark oh, Bolin. Oh, man. Let's hear a little bit of that song, Adam. All the Young Dudes by Mott the Hoople. song Classic. sounds like Bowie. It really does. Totally. You can hear it. Yeah. You can So maybe that's it. hindsight speaking, but yes. Yes, for sure. You know, the guys from Duran Duran were huge fans of Bowie, and Nick Rhodes remembers seeing him on British TV. Here's a funny side note. This I love this story. Nick's parents bought a color TV <laughs> so that they could watch the moon landing in color, not realizing that the transmission from the moon would be in black and white. Okay? <laughs> but color made a real impact on Nick Rhodes when David Bowie was on TV. Okay. I love that story. Wow. <laughs> and Nick, by the way, says that an entire generation of groups formed in the late 70s because of David Bowie. Unquestionably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, oh. certainly the most significant single influence as a vocalist from an entire era. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think I realized that until after he died. Really? And then everybody came out of the woodwork saying how influenced they were. Because right. I like Bowie a lot, but I mostly was the, a singles guy. So yeah. I would have had Changes One Bowie or Changes Bowie or whatever with all the big hits on it. Yeah. And I would have heard them on the radio. And then I got into a couple of albums, but I was never a, a Bowie album geek ever. Still don't really know the albums. I know the singles. Well, the there's boys. lots of there's time. <laughs> you know, there's sometimes time. you shake your head in such disgust at what I don't know. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> all right. Um, I was trying to clear my head. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> the book that you're referring to, mm. the uh, oral history. Yeah. So the the oddest line in the whole book, right. was in fact a reference to Lou Reed. Quote, Lou was a prime member of the Awkward Squad. <laughs> he could lose a charm competition with Van Morrison. 
<laughs> and was a cranky old guy sometimes. He was. Okay, Luther Vandross was one of the singers on the Young Americans album, and he he's one of the guys that's that's going, you know, I read the news today, oh boy, or Young Americans. So Bowie loved Luther's vocal arrangements so much that he put him in charge of arranging vocals for the whole album. Mm, good call. That is so interesting. Okay, 1971, David Bowie starred in a movie called Just a Gigolo. It was so bad that even Bowie himself admitted that it was like, quote, 32 Elvis <laughs> movies rolled into one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote. That's a good one. So, Tom, here's a good Bowie quote. This one is on the subject of money, something that's obviously near and dear to the heart of rock stars, yes. but they often get sort of questioned about it and, yes. in, a, in a way that makes them a bit defensive sure. about their wealth and what they've done with it. Okay, so Bowie. I'm rich. I'm not wealthy. Rich people know how much money they have. Wealthy people don't. <laughs> That's exactly right. Nice, uh, nice response. You remember the guy, uh, the singer Robbie Williams? He used to be yeah. in Take That, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, really, really popular. David he had a huge career in England, in the UK. Yes, and he never really translated no. on these shores for no. some reason. He had a few pretty good hits. Uh, one song called "Millennium," and he had a, a few other songs that kind of crossed over to kind of the adult contemporary stations. And we played him, and we met him on a number of occasions. And he was a real character, just yeah, terrific. he's a super entertainer. That's yeah. right. But David Bowie, as we go back to cool song facts about Bowie, was flummoxed by the success of Robbie Williams, whom he saw only as a song and dance man. Oh. Yeah. Is that a disparaging song and dance man term? That's I not, that's think not it is. a good thing? That's not a good thing in his mind. Even though Bob Dylan called himself a song and dance man? <laughs> <laughs> Dear. That is funny. Now, speaking of kind of flummoxed, but in a completely different way, David Bowie and Mick Jagger once went to see Purple Rain together, the movie with Prince. Wow. When it came out, can you imagine being in that theater and there's Dave and Mick right next to you in the theater? So David was very Eating irritated. Popcorn. Yeah. That's right. So David was very irritated by it because Prince had managed to do what Bowie had wanted to do in just one film. So he loved it. He was so blown away by it mm. that he's going, oh, like imagine seeing that much talent done so concisely in that movie. Now, I'm not sure that movie holds up as well now as it did then. I saw the movie eight times in the theater when it came out, and I'm not lying. Wow. Um, it was, oh, I just was blown away by Purple Rain, right? Rolling Stone called it the Citizen Kane of rock and roll movies. I'm not sure that holds up, but it was great, Man. and he was great in it. And I can see how an artist as creative as David Bowie was going, wow, where did that guy come from, right? Okay, so I am completely on the outside of this because I only saw it once. Yeah. When it came out yes. in the theater, yeah. and I thought musically it was just staggeringly brilliant. Yeah. But I thought the acting was hideous. <laughs> and I'm sorry, you can't just you know take the bit you like and call it the Citizen Kane of rock and roll for me. Yes, I, I think. Am, are that, we going to get mail? <laughs> uh, I do think that in hindsight, I would agree with you that the acting is terrible. At the time, I didn't see it. Right at the time, I was. 
22, probably just a little bit so starstruck by Prince. Right. Because I'd been a fan of his by that point Mm -hmm. for a few years, especially with the album 1999, and I'd go backwards with his earlier catalog. But so by the time I saw him, he was a god, right? He'd produced The Time. I loved all them. I even liked the Vanity Six album. So that's how deep I was into that, that whole era of Prince's music. So when I saw him, he could do no wrong, including act. But I saw it very recently, and I just went, ooh, I was pretty forgiving as a fan in those days, that's for sure. <laughs> Brief tangent, yes. have you heard the remastered 1999? There's no. A, there's a box that has all these outtakes in it. It is unbelievable. And if you ever needed to be reminded how great that record is, yes. this will do it. Okay, great. I love that album from beginning to end. There are okay. some inappropriate moments. Hello, lady cab driver. <laughs> Say no more. Oh, I know. Uh-huh. I, I read a review of that album, and they were just saying that the the lyrics for "Lady Cab Driver" do not do not hold up in this era right now. Okay, so we're doing cool song facts about David Bowie. When David Bowie worked with Queen for "Under Pressure," they did not really get along. Brian May from Queen admits they were all very stubborn, but says that Bowie was more pigheaded than the four guys in Queen. Put together. Well, well, well. <laughs> when rock stars attack. Like the results, though. Yes, for sure. Oh, and I love this. This is a great way to end it. Parenthood changed David Bowie immensely. He actually got sole custody of Zoe, Duncan, Joey, the one that's the same person. <laughs> Zoe Bowie, Duncan Bowie, and Joey Bowie. They're the ones, <laughs> that's their son that he had with Sounds Angela. Sounds like the name game, right? <laughs> no. Banana fan. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, when Duncan was 16, he dyed his hair red and green. <gasps> and David Bowie said to his son, David Bowie, of all people who had red hair on television in the early 70s, Bowie said to his son, You are not coming out with me looking like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, there you go. Cool song facts with David Bowie on Famous Lost Words. Well, that does it for this week's episode of Famous Lost Words. Thanks to our technical producer, Adam Karsh. Thank you, sir. And our executive producer, Rob Farina. Also, thanks to the gang at Orbit Media, including Rob Basile, for their help in getting our show to as many ears as possible. Now, you can help simply by listening to past episodes on the iHeartRadio app. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook, too. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. Talk to you next time on another edition of Famous Lost Words.